a New Testament lesson comes from the last book, God's Word, Revelation, Revelation 21. Revelation 21, I'll be reading verses 21 to 27. Revelation 21, verses 21 to 27. As soon as you pull attention, once more, this is the Word of our God. And the twelve gates were twelve parts, twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure, like gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. will bring in, into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does, not, who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I guess this time, Bishop Bowler will come up and bring us word of God. Well, as was mentioned earlier, uh, I bring greetings as well from Central Indiana Presbytery. I currently serve at a church called New Life Presbyterian, which is in Yorktown, just outside of Muncie. Um, and I am right now fulfilling what's called a church planting residency there. So it's to get myself as uh, prepared as I possibly can. Uh, there will always be unexpected things that come at me, but as prepared as I can be for church planting. Uh, the goal is to have a second PCA congregation here in Fort Wayne. I think that uh, from what I can tell, and you guys can tell me, uh, there needs to be more Reformed churches here, right? We need to proclaim the freedom that is that is yours and the assurance that is yours because of the Reformed faith. Not questioning, uh, are my works enough? No, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. That's what the PCA brings for Wayne. Um, and we're hoping to, to double our efforts, have a second pastor here. Um, so yeah, I'm completing my church planting residency right now. Should be done within hopefully uh, sometime in 2024, maybe early 2025. Uh, and then we're going to be moving here to Fort Wayne uh, next year. So I'll leave it up to you guys to decide if uh, you want to see my face more or not. But uh, expect to see me around. I'm really excited to, to get to know you more. So uh, introduce yourselves. We'd be happy to. Uh, my wife is back here with me as well today. Stephanie, we'd be happy to get to know you more. Uh, but we're not here to talk about the bullers. We're here to hear from God, right? So I'm going to pray for that to happen. Let's pray together. God, you are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. And we know that this means that you are holy, that you are pure and righteous. In fact, you are so much of those things, infinitely those things, that you had to send your light into this world to give light to all men. And the darkness could not, will not, cannot ever overcome that light. God, it is that light which illuminates us as well. And so we ask that you do that by your spirit today. Um, would, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. 
I'm going to bring the word from Matthew 13 today, Matthew 13, 45 and 46. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it to that. Um, I'll be referencing it several times throughout, but it's pretty short, so you might be able to also just keep it in your heads. Um, I'm in the habit of standing when the word is read, so let's do that. Let's stand as I read the word to us. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Uh, set before us today is a short, punchy, easy to conceptualize little parable. And a parable, as you probably know, is a story which Jesus would have used to teach about a topic that would make sense to the people who wanted to follow him, but actually would not be understandable or intelligible to those who didn't want to hear the truth, who refused to listen to him. So for most of us here, if we trust in Jesus as the truth, we're probably going to understand this even at first glance, right? The kingdom of heaven is as valuable as priceless treasure. And that's all I have for you. Let me pray to close, and uh, you'll see me next time. Uh, there's a lot more than that in this parable. Uh, parables are really fascinating because they can pack so much meaning into just two short verses, right? It's uncovered in layers, almost like when you peel an onion. So each time you look at it, you might notice a different aspect of the meaning of the parable. They're rich in meaning. So Jesus is teaching us in this parable what the kingdom of heaven is like. And that's really important because one of the very first things that Jesus says in his public ministry is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this kingdom of heaven is clearly central to Jesus' mission here on earth. So we should pay attention here. The structure of this parable is a comparison, right? More specifically, it's a simile for those who are grammar nerds. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like something. A simile is meant to help you understand traits that if you just described the trait, it wouldn't really stand out that much. So if, if Jesus came and said, the kingdom of heaven is valuable, there'd be something missed there. There's a reason why he indicated it in the form of a parable. It wouldn't be nearly as interesting for one thing, but there'd be some portion of the meaning that would be left out. And in, in this comparison, we compare something less to something greater. It's kind of the opposite of a hyperbole. It's an opposite exaggeration. I don't think Jesus thinks the kingdom of heaven is worth exactly the same amount as a pearl, right? I think he thinks it's worth a whole lot more than a pearl, in fact. But that means that we actually get to use our imagination a little bit here. We get to think, what's the most valuable thing that I can think of? And then recognize that the kingdom of heaven is worth even more than that. Okay, that's what I mean by lesser to the greater. So the kingdom of heaven is like something, but what is the kingdom of heaven? We have to define our terms. If I said a, a, a hurdle pop is like grass, you'd say, well, I know what grass is. But, but what are we even talking about when we're talking about hurdle pops? Right? So we have to define our terms. More needs to be said here. So again, let me ask, what is the kingdom of heaven? 
Well, to, to a lot of us, it's pretty plain, I think. Uh, I know I've read this phrase a lot of times, probably at least a hundred, I, w- I would imagine, and it's, and it's easy to take for granted, isn't it? It's kind of like a tree in your front yard that you've raked up the leaves for year after year, but you've never actually bothered to identify its species. I've read this phrase a lot. It appears 32 times just in the book of Matthew alone. Uh, that doesn't mean, though, that it's a simple concept to understand. There's this tricky word of, right? Kingdom of heaven. What does that actually mean when we say kingdom of heaven? Just right here, does the kingdom of heaven mean the kingdom which is found up in heaven? As though it's referring to where you go after you die? Does it mean the kingdom which is coming from heaven? Is it a way of defining the boundaries of the kingdom of heaven? Just just like when we say the kingdom of Morocco or something like that. There are lots of different ways to use that word of. So how do we account for this? Thankfully, we're not without hope, right? Because we can use the Bible to explain other passages in the Bible. So there's another place we can look in the book of Matthew to help us out. Uh, You might recognize it. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And one verse in particular in the Lord's Prayer is going to really be helpful in interpreting what the kingdom of heaven is. Uh, Matthew 6.10, which is where you can find the, the Lord's Prayer, says this. Your kingdom come... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So the coming of the kingdom, that first line, your kingdom come, means that God's will will be done on earth the same way as it is in heaven. So whatever we think is going on up in heaven, what we're praying for is that that happens here on earth as well. Right? So heaven. Think of of heaven for a moment. This is where the throne room of God is. Okay? So we can think of the kingdom of heaven almost like it's the headwaters of a river that's going to flow downstream to the earth. The kingdom of heaven means that, yes, the throne of our king is in heaven, but the reign of the king extends throughout all the earth as well. So there is nothing outside of the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Right? And since that throne is everlasting as well, the kingdom of heaven is also an everlasting kingdom. And I just want to make this note as well, that there are parallel passages in the other Gospels that will talk about the kingdom of God. Okay? And they mean the exact same thing. So wherever you read either kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, you can just know that it refers to anywhere and everywhere that God is king. But additionally, it's on earth as in heaven, and God's glory is on full display in heaven, isn't it? You can see God with unveiled face in heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is where God is king, and wherever God is king, his glory is revealed. Okay, so that's going to be our working definition for the kingdom of heaven. I want to say that one more time. The kingdom of heaven is where God is king, and wherever God is king, there his glory is revealed. So that is going to be our definition. And what I'd like to do for the rest of my time here is is unfold this parable that talks about the kingdom of heaven. And to do that, I want to ask three questions pertaining to this parable, okay? The first question is, who is searching for pearls? Who is searching for pearls? Then, 
who, I'm, I'm sorry, why buy the pearl? Why is the pearl worth buying? And then the third question is, who is selling that pearl? Who is selling the pearl? So the first question is, who is searching for pearls? Well, in the parable, it is the merchant who's searching for pearls, right? His goal, of course, he's a merchant, so he's trying to make a living. He's likely to make a lot more than a living, though, as well, because the pearl trade of the ancient Near East goes back 7,000 years. So think of the Exodus and the party of the Red Sea, and then go back twice as far as that. The pearl trade in the ancient Near East, ancient Near East is really old. Pearls were this luxury good, and they've always showcased wealth. They've showcased elegance. The entire pearl trade, it kind of broke down once oil became the, the main uh, export in the Persian Gulf. But before oil, it seems as though pearls were kind of a big money business. You can make real money in the trade of them. So you could think of this merchant a little bit like an expensive, expensive jewelry salesperson, right? Dealing in luxury goods. What does that mean? Well, it means that the merchant probably isn't the type of guy who's going to be easily distracted by just some pretty things, right? His entire job is to evaluate fine pearls and then sell them in order to turn a profit. He's no stranger to the beauty of pearls, and, and even the pearl is a little bit of a means to an end for him, isn't it? Like, the more beautiful the pearl, the more he can charge for it. But then what happens to him? Well, as some witness search for pearls that he can use in his trade, he comes across a singular pearl. And it compels him to do something quite extreme. The great value, the preciousness of this one pearl causes him to forsake everything that he owns in order to obtain it. He was searching for fine pearls, but what he found was something far greater than he could have dreamed. Okay, so back to my question. If the kingdom of heaven is like this story, how are we supposed to understand this merchant? Who is the merchant compared to in this parable if the kingdom of heaven is like this? Who is searching for fine pearls? Well, I want to describe for you how I think the merchant is actually everybody. It's you, it's me, it's your neighbor, it's the person you've never met. And here's why. Because every one of us is looking for something. Everybody de desires something. We're a species designed and defined by our quest for more, right? It seems like we're all looking for, maybe it's not a pearl, but we're looking for profit or satisfaction or fulfillment or beauty or comfort or fame. Everyone I know of speaks in some way, some derivative form, just like Bono does, Bono of the Band of Two, who says, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? Every one of us, every person, whether Christian or not even, longs for things to be put right, don't they? We all long for this. And even if we believe in kingdom come like Christians do, we're still anxious for it to be put right and fulfilled at the return of Jesus. 
The nice thing about a parable is that it's not exclusive to just one single context like a merchant in the ancient Near East. It's appropriate with a parable to think of yourself in place of it, right? To insert yourself and, and, and do a little bit of an interpretation. So if you were the merchant, what would have motivated you? What would be your motivator? The, per the merchant wanted to find pearls, likely for profit. So you, likewise, might be motivated by riches. But there are lots of other things that motivate us too, aren't there? Like, perhaps your desire is to be respected. Maybe you want to make a difference in the world. Maybe you want to be accepted by your family or your peers. Maybe you want to be loved by somebody for who you truly are because nobody actually knows you. Some are motivated by a sense of achievement or glory. Like you've earned your place and your existence is justified. Some are motivated by pleasures or, or comfort or some other form of happiness in this life. We're all on the search for something. So in the parable, we can all compare ourselves to the merchant. And, and I just want to say, this is not a problem. Okay? Our friend the merchant isn't crazy because he was looking to make money. And you aren't crazy for, happy, for having deep motivators as well. Bono, well, well, I don't know, Bono might be crazy, I'm not sure. Uh, but, but there is no indication, at least with the merchant, that he is sinful in his search for fine pearls. Now, certainly we all have desires that we twist, right? And we distort, and we reach out for them in the wrong ways. And we twist them into ends that, that do not point to God's glory. So the, the point is that our desires are part of our existence, even prior to our fallen state. But then we twist our desires. We elevate their importance at times, and we turn away from God in the process. But, but looking back at the merchant, don't read this parable to understand that this person is sinful for searching for pearls and needed to repent in order to have the kingdom of God. Since all humans have something we're looking for, just like Bono did, it doesn't really matter if you see yourself as a good person or a bad person, if you're, uh, if you're a self-aware sinner, right? It doesn't matter if you're rich, it doesn't matter if you're poor, it doesn't matter if you're a man, it doesn't matter if you're a woman, it doesn't matter if this is your first Sunday here at church, it doesn't matter if you've been attending here for a long time, it's possible for any and every person to be surprised by the glory and the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. Just like the merchant was surprised by the beauty of that pearl. And I'm actually convinced that this parable has a significant weight in evangelism, right? Why? A merchant would be kind of inoculated almost to the beauty of pearls. And yet there was still a beauty so pure that it shook him up and stole his attention in a totally new way. What that means is that in all of our searches for things that we desire, the kingdom of heaven has this surprising and overwhelming way of capturing all our old longings and then dismissing them, right? So if a merchant, if a merchant who evaluates fine pearls as their life's work can still be surprised by the beauty of a priceless pearl, 
then even, even a hardened sinner who has searched out all of their deepest longings in all the most tragic, sinful ways can still be surprised by the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. Even my brother or sister who's lost all hope for a life that's free of addiction, for a life that's uh, away from the darkness of depression or, or loneliness, can still be surprised by the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. And if you believe that, then this is a, a tremendous evangelistic call to action. Christians, you have the hope that fulfills every human longing. Even for those who are totally lost in their own desires, right? So don't be afraid of sharing the good news of the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Whenever you do share that good news, just know the, the news of Christ's death and resurrection, right? Just know that you are sharing with a fellow image bearer. One who is designed to receive that good news and receive that hope. Those people are, are the image of God, just like you are. They have great dignity. They have great purpose. They have these strong motivators and desires, just like you do. So walk that path with them. Try to understand what are the things that motivate them. What gets those people up in the morning? Because that's exactly where Christ will surprise them and show them the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. God will surprise them, and God might even surprise you with the way he surprises them by showing them the greatness of the kingdom of heaven as well. So that's who is in search of fine pearls. We are all in search of fine pearls. But why buy the pearl? That's our second question. The merchant's goal is profit. And we've described how we all have our own goals, but, but not when the merchant sees this invaluable object. And we've already described how he has this sense of surprise, just thinking he'd seen all types of pearls before, but nothing like this one. Nothing, and, and when he sells everything and buys this pearl, nothing but the pearl itself is gained, right? All he has, all he walks away with is a pearl. There's no utility in that, right? There's just a pearl. But it had its own glory, right? He found that there was nothing else that he needed to be satisfied, just to obtain and hold on to that pearl. The pearl is just like the kingdom of heaven, which has its own glory. And you, Christian, need nothing other than the satisfaction that the kingdom of heaven and God's glory gives you. Let's, let's use an analogy to explain this level of satisfaction, okay? Um, do people in this congregation use Spotify a lot, or Pandora, or listen to the music on, on like streaming services? A lot of people do, get some nodding heads good. Um, so uh, if you listen on a streaming service, maybe you've clicked like the, uh, the Discover or the Shuffle or something where it plays you new music. You guys know what I'm talking about, those like Discover channels where it sees what you're used to, and then it gives you more things based on that content. You know that feeling, if you've ever clicked that? When you're listening to some new music, this Spotify or whatever your uh, streaming service du jour is, uh, when it gives you something new, and it really just hits you, and you kind of stop for a minute. And it's not just because it's got like a good beat or something like that, it's like, oh yeah, this is really a bop, but but it's more it's more transcendent than that. Like there's... 
something captivating about that song and you set aside what else, whatever was going on. Like I've been studying for ordination exams quite a bit. So sometimes I, I literally just put pause on my, my exam prep and, and just listen on repeat to one song over and over again. And you're almost like transfixed. You replay it again and again, and each time the richness and the beauty just hit you. I have a playlist that I call Songs About Death, and that sounds pretty morbid, but uh, it's actually, a lot of the songs are about the beauty of seeing Jesus face to face after we die. And it's really hard for me to listen to two songs on there in particular, sometimes a third, but really two. And I just, I have to fight back tears every time I listen to those two songs. Every single time. The beauty of them. It just, it, it grabs on, right? It steals your attention away. And I don't think that that type of experience is that different from the one that the merchant would have had when he first viewed this precious pearl. There's this characteristic of beauty that has stolen the attention of the merchant, right? It's much more than just like being attractive to the eyes. There's a certain type of beauty that that has this extra distance to cover. And C.S. Lewis describes this beauty in a, way, in a radio address called The Weight of Glory. And he uses these terms, he says, we do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else, which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. You don't find the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. The beauty of the kingdom of heaven finds you. So again, I think this is probably what our friend the merchant must have felt when he viewed this wonderful, precious, beautiful pearl. It beckoned it. It beckoned for him to come into it. The merchant couldn't bear to be without this pearl. And in a sense, when we talk in language like this about the, uh, the beauty of the kingdom of heaven and how it pulls us into itself, when we think about that theologically with regard to the kingdom of heaven, it's actually irresistible grace, isn't it? You might have heard this term as part of a, um, an acronym called TULIP, which is uh, a Calvinist or Reformed way of talking about the doctrine of predestination. And a lot of times predestination gets a pretty bad rap, doesn't it? Because predestination sounds really cold and mechanical. Like, uh, I'm picking you and you don't get a choice in the matter. Right? That's, I think, the way a lot of reformed opponents would, would phrase it. Like, it's just fate or that, that we have to accept it even if we don't really want it. But that's not the way to understand the fact that you're predestined. This parable illustrates for us how irresistible grace is actually glorious and wonderful and good news. Nobody's going to be saved against their will, that's for sure, okay? There's so much beauty in the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus, that you will gladly choose to forsake all that you have to join into it. The kingdom of heaven is not mechanical, it's glorious. But there's another side to this. Okay, because the merchant actually does sell everything that he has in order to buy the pearl. And it kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Is there a price tag on the kingdom of heaven? Christians, must you sell everything you have in order to afford the kingdom of heaven? And it's a somewhat anxious question, if we're honest, because 
Later on in Matthew, Jesus tells somebody to do exactly that, doesn't he? Uh, remember in Matthew 19, he tells the rich man uh, to sell all that he has and give to the poor so that he can have treasure in heaven. And the rich man does what? He leaves. He walks away saddened. It makes you wonder, do I need to do what the merchant did in order to gain heaven? And this leads to the final point. Who is selling the pearl? And it's interesting, isn't it, that there must have been somebody who, who had this pearl to begin with and was willing to sell the pearl. And he kind of got a pretty good deal, didn't he? He took this guy for a little bit of a ride. Uh, he, sold, he couldn't have exacted another penny out of this merchant because the merchant sold everything he had to buy this pearl. Talk about the art of the deal, right? If I came up to you and said, like, hey, uh, I'll sell you my phone for everything you ever owned, you'd be like, no way am I taking that deal. But the, the merchant did it, so I don't know. Perhaps the merchant got taken advantage of here. Is God going to do the same thing? Is he going to... Is he going to try to take advantage of you so that you have to pay out every last penny to lay hold of the kingdom of heaven? Well, thankfully, friends, the answer is no, you do not purchase the kingdom of heaven. In fact, you might say that the bargain is not on the side of the seller, but on the side of the buyer. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. In fact, it's said in Isaiah... Isaiah 55, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So, even if it was something that you could purchase, a kingdom of God's own glory would probably cost too much for you to be able to afford in the first place, wouldn't it? Like, we're going to have to receive it as a gift at some level. We're going to have to. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says the salvation into the kingdom of God is a gift of God so that no one may boast. It is a free gift. So what of the rich man in Matthew? Why did he leave and walk away sad? Well, when Jesus talks to that rich man in, in Matthew 19 to sell all his possessions, it actually illustrates this point that I've been making. And here's how. It was not a marvelous joy for him to receive, to, to leave his possessions behind to receive the kingdom of heaven, was it? It's clear that he was not surprised by the beauty of the glory of the kingdom of heaven. The Spirit of God had not worked on him to receive it as a gift. He thought, what did he think? He thought the kingdom, to receive the kingdom was about the works of the law, right? He wanted to be a good person. And that's how he wanted to receive the kingdom of God. He did not want Jesus as his treasure. The kingdom of heaven is a free gift, but it also does have a cost. You might remember at the beginning that I said this is a parable from the lesser to the greater, and it's going to apply here as well. The lesser in the comparison is that the merchant needs to sell everything that he has in his possessions. The greater is that you need to die. You need to die in the flesh and live to God. What that means is that you need to be buried with Christ in baptism in order to inherit eternal life and be raised with him in the kingdom of heaven. 
and Romans chapter 6, which we read a little bit of earlier, says this in verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That means that we need to set aside our old ways. We need to repent. We can't live sinfully according to the flesh anymore. Jesus gained new life by his sacrificial death, so you too need to join him in dying to your sinful self in order to live with him. But the good news is this. If you pay that cost, the riches you inherit in the kingdom of heaven are worth immeasurably more than any cost you can possibly pay, even greater than any desire you thought was the most important thing in your life. Greater than that, the glory of the kingdom of heaven will overshadow all of your life, all of your old self. But yet there's still one more greater thing that we need to realize as well. A greater thought. Yes, you need to die in your flesh. That's true. And that is costly. But Jesus himself paid an even higher cost to obtain you for the kingdom of heaven. He thought you were worth purchasing. Jesus paid a lot more than just a life savings account to obtain you as his precious pearl, didn't he? He paid his own life, not through dying to the flesh, but as God in human form, he took on flesh just to have it broken open for you. This was the cost and the payment of your sins. And it was not too high for Jesus to still willingly do it on your behalf. Jesus was willing to pay it all to bring you into the kingdom of heaven just so he can give it to you as a gift for free. The kingdom of heaven is the precious pearl to you and me, yes, but you and I are the precious pearl to King Jesus. And I want to close with another C.S. Lewis reference to the same essay, The Way of the Lord, that I, I did before. Um, might be really good. Uh, Lord's Day afternoon fair for a short reading. Uh, it says this, The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who chooses, shall actually survive that examination of final judgment. You shall find approval. You shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God. Not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory, which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. You, Christian, are the precious pearl of the Lord. You, as, as Lewis puts it, are an ingredient in the divine happiness. What an amazing reality that is. And this kingdom of heaven, his kingdom of heaven, which is your precious pearl, is worth every cost 
in order to receive the glory of the King. I'm going to close by reciting the Lord's Prayer. You're welcome to to join me if you'd like, but uh, we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Continue in prayer. Go ahead. Great God and Father, we indeed thank you and praise you for the certain promise, the promise of the certain reality that is ours, that you prepare for us in glory, our home. We long for the day that you will come and take us there to be with you forever. Thank you that you are God and we are your people. Well, we pray for, we give you praise and thanks for, for our denomination. We thank you for faithful denominations and churches throughout uh, your creation. Lord, we thank you for the good report and the work and the direction of this denomination, the PCA. We pray you continue to bless the work uh, that we have to do. We pray that you would expand uh, the outreach, particularly in this area of faithful gospel preaching churches. Lord, we pray that you would be instrumental as we seek to do this. Lord, we have always prayed that we would be a church planting church. And so, Lord, we pray. Bless our efforts, not not to thin us out, to, to, to grow, or that your people would come in, they would have a more faithful expression of biblical, uh, biblical Christian faith, or according to your word. Lord, so we do pray. We pray for the city. We pray that the, your spirit be poured out upon it. Uh, Lord, we pray praise you for uh, this church. We thank you that you've been merciful to us, that you've uh, seen fit not only to for us to be stable, but that, to know that you are working uh, in us and through us. We pray that we would continue to be uh, faithful to your word, Lord, that we would uh, love according to the love that we've been loved with uh, one another. So Lord, we uh, ask that you would protect us. We pray for the, uh, the families of this church. We pray for the husbands and wives that they would indeed love one another in a sacrificial way, uh, giving of themselves, dying to self, as it were, Satisfy the needs of one another. Lord, we pray for the family, for the children, families here. We pray that you would protect them and bless them, not only physically and emotionally, but spiritually. Lord, we pray that you would lead them along, lead them to faith. Give them that gift, that heart that beats for Christ. That they would, uh, that they would cling to him, serve him for all of their days. And as they, as they fail and fall in this world throughout their lives, that they would rise again and seek him and cling to him even more. Pray for the fidelity of these families, the roles you place them in, and that the parents would rear these children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They would indeed see them as see you as their mutual uh, savior. So Lord, we thank you so much for that. We pray for the single singles uh, before us today, Lord. We pray that you would bless them, give them the desires of their hearts as they seek your will and your way. We pray, Lord, that you would indeed that your will bring, bring others into their lives that they can rejoice together in their King and Savior. But whatever your will is, Lord, for all of us, we pray that we would find our fullest satisfaction 
in Jesus Christ for all of our lives. Everything on top of that is uh, is just added blessing. So we pray it helps to be the satiation of our souls, satisfaction in our Savior fully. We pray that you continue to lift our eyes and our minds and grow us to look beyond this world that so powerfully sinks us down and, and tethers us to this earth and the problems of this earth. May we receive who we truly are, where our, our true home is in glory. Lord, so we pray as we long for a better country, that you would protect us, that you would be with those of us who suffer, help us to know that you are the God of the resurrection of the dead. One day we will be made new. Uh, all, no more tears, no more pain, that we will indeed know that you are with us and that, we are, that you are our, our God and that we are your most precious possession. Father, we pray that you would help us to know and believe and trust what we have heard, what your word tells us, that we indeed have died and raised in newness of life. Help us to walk in the truth of that. Grow us by your spirit as we do so. Help us to acknowledge always and more and more the reality that you, that, that you sent your son, your beloved son, into this world to die for us. Therefore, let us live for him, even here and now. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.